0: Hi there, and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jermay's Fine Foods. I'm Vicki Nguyen, and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120, and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. In today's episode, I interview Melbourne-based natural fertility expert known as the hormone revolutionist, Nat Kringudis. Nat is a best-selling author, acupuncturist, herbalist, speaker and writer. She's also a mother of two and has her own podcast, The Wellness Collective. Nat is an absolute wealth of knowledge and I know you're all going to love her energy, wisdom and expertise. As a professional, Nat's main focus is on women's health and making hormones happy and her approach is to use integrative health to treat the main cause and not just the symptoms. A true holistic approach to hormone health. Nat is a true believer that happy hormones are created with what we do each day and every day. Our lifestyle has a massive impact, as we know, on our hormones, and Nat helps empower women to help them make the right choices and employ the right lifestyle to encourage good hormone health. So Nat, welcome to One Body, One Life. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me
0: here. How exciting. It's good. Um, I mean, obviously, we're in Melbourne and we're back in lockdown and you've got two young kids at home. Yeah, it's, I'm grateful for, for your time because I know you're super stretched at the moment as well with the two young ones. Oh,
1: actually, no, Vicky, anything to get me out of having to go and be, you know... <laughs> <laughs> In and amongst all of that, I'm really happy to you know. I'll just put that out there. Anyone that fair enough. <laughs> anyone that needs a, a podcast guest at the moment, um, <laughs> but it's all about breaking up the monotony,
0: isn't it? And um, and of course, I love I love to talk about all of this because it's what I do every day. So absolutely, um, I appreciate it. Very good. Well, my purpose with this show, as you know, is to help people live longer, stronger, happier, healthier lives. And as as women, I've always felt and known that you know we're so governed by our endocrine systems and that real delicate balance um, within our hormones. So um, and I know myself, we can be so easily thrown off balance. So tell us, I mean, what, what are hormones exactly and what's their main job in the body?
1: Yeah, I think the funny thing is we all love to blame it on our hormones or someone else <laughs> likes to blame it on our hormones. So, yes. you know, we will say I'm so hormonal, Yes, but we don't really know what that means, I don't think. I think we like to say it and we like to blame it on something when we're feeling moody. Yep. But, you know, hormones do much more than just control your moods. In fact, they're messengers that you know dictate or instruct your body to do certain things in every second of the day, whether that's going to sleep or whether that's feeling good or whether it's more of a systematic response where you've got certain parts of, or systems in the body telling other systems what to do, for example, having a period or not having a period. So I think the main fundamental thing for us all to understand is that hormones dictate Pretty much the way that our body works without us controlling that. So you know, we don't get to say, okay, tree it's time to fire up so that I can ovulate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's, it's an automatic bounce. Um, whereas I guess there are other hormones that maybe, you know, control our m- emotions that we might have a little bit more of a uh, influence on. So it's more about not fearing them, I think, and understanding that when you can know a little bit about them and you don't need to be an endocrinologist. But when you can know a little bit, you can not not fear the
0: worst, but also make good decisions about your health. Absolutely. And it's such quite symbiotic, the way they work, isn't it? It's like if one is out of whack, it's often because Mm -hmm. of another. Is that how it kind of works? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think this is where we um, sometimes, I don't want to say get it wrong, but definitely from a Western viewpoint, we love to look at one system, uh, whether that's the reproductive system or uh, the um, digestive system or any of, you know, there's many systems, respiratory, whatever it might be, and we really try and compartmentalise when we are treating something. But when we can look at how, just like you say, one influences the next, um, we can get a greater understanding and really start to treat things from that holistic um, core rather than just the symptoms themselves. So, yes, there's an absolute knock-on effect. And this is where I get patients all the time to ask the question, but why? You know, you might have certain symptoms and we're very good at treating symptoms. But when we can start to ask, "But why?" we can trace back where we really do need to start the work—not um, just treating symptoms, because we end up chasing our tail when we do that. And and that's like you say, also that hormones are produced in so many various areas of the body. It's not just the brain; yeah. um, that we're producing them all throughout uh, all of our glands, in our gut, um, it's, you know, the brain, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and different hormones get produced in different areas. So you know, it's no. Not any wonder that we feel
0: overwhelmed when we hear the word hormones, right? Absolutely. But tell us, so where are the glans, where the, the main glands in the body which produce the hormones. What are they? Obviously, the ovaries is one. Yeah, your ovaries. I mean, for men, they they. Gonads are a bit, you know, different to ours,
1: but I yep. guess what we're interested here is in women's health is definitely the ovaries. Um, the adrenals are a big, fundamental makers of key hormones that go on to allow us to make other hormones. Right. Um, but then you also look at the thyroid, um, your pituitary gland. There's, there's many, many areas in your body that produce hormones and like I said more recently we've started to understand that even our gut makes certain hormones so we used to think that it was more the glands but now we're learning that our gut actually also helps um, manufacture quite an uh, in quite large amounts as well of certain hormones like serotonin for example Um, so there's there's definitely but like I said and you said each one influences the next hormones that might be made in the your adrenals, your, your fundamental um, even stress hormones. But you need those to then be able to go on and make other hormones. in the main sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, um, testosterone, the ones that we talk a lot about in women's health. And we talk a lot about those because they're the ones that really can, when they're out of balance, we can see the most symptoms as women. Yes. So, you know, and they influence our menstrual cycles and therefore our, our you know, <laughs> pretty much everything that we do because as women, when we look at even something like a menstrual cycle, those hormones dictate what's happening every moment, like I said, of every day, but also what's happening every day within a cycle. Yes. And so the I think it's mind-blowing actually when you stop and think as women... Who are having a menstrual cycle? We're not the same on any given day. Throughout that twenty-eight days, our hormones are going to exactly. be different every single day. <laughs> so you just never know what you're going to get. No wonder <laughs> we're a mixed bag. Oh my goodness, <laughs> poor men, we're so
0: unpredictable, aren't we?
1: I know, but it's like you know, it was like yesterday broccoli was the best thing you've ever had, and today chocolate is your best friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what about the full moon? I mean, I'm I'm personally so impacted by the full moon, and my period is actually in line with the full moon, which is amazing me every time. But it's incredible how that happens. And and even with amongst friendship circles, how women align their period cycles with each other. It's just incredible, isn't it? I know someone recently did say to me that that's not a proven fact or that the research doesn't indicate that
1: that's what happens. And I said, well, have you ever spent any time with someone for a long period of yes. time? Because it absolutely is what happens. Yes. Um, I mean, I think we we are always a product of our environment. Yeah. And so even something like the moon, you know, yes. that dictates how things grow. It dictates how the, the tides. It influences the planet. Yes. So why would it not influence us? Our bodies, it's, exactly. But I, I'm... Fascinated with the moon, and and I often just stand out and stare at it, and and my husband will say, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's just fascinating." Um, but yes, absolutely. So you know, the moon is a great example because it's a it's, it's a 28 day lunar cycle. Yes, and again, as women, we we operate. Um, most commonly on a 28-day cycle. Not everybody has a 28-day cycle and that's okay. Yeah. A regular cycle is considered something between 26 to 34 days. Right. And so even if you were having a 26-day cycle one month and a 32-day cycle the next, you would still be considered as having a regular period. Yes. So, um, But you're right. Yeah, the moon definitely influences us
0: and that's that's so reflective of you know, a great example of that is the menstrual cycle. Absolutely. So tell us, what are the biggest stressors um, on our hormones? Like obviously lifestyle stress um, really impacts us because I know myself when I'm stressed, I, I you know, I might have a little breakout or just my cycle might be off. What are the biggest stressors you find?
1: Yeah, I think people associate stress with being under pressure busy, anything in our environment, that can be our external environment, that can be our internal environment, meaning our organs or our body systems as we spoke about, Um, and also our, um, our mental or emotional environment, all of these factors are considered stresses when they're not working properly or there's something that's influencing the way that they're working in a negative way. So for example, stress being, you know, worry, especially for a lot of women at the moment, it's I'm seeing some very wild and wonderful symptoms. But worry is a stress that influences the gut, which then when the gut's not functioning properly, then that has an impact on your hormones and hormone regulation and metabolism. So there's one example I think that's probably the greatest example, the, the greatest stress I think for women is, you know, overthought, worry, um, and that that mental load that we put on, um, that we, you know, we're carers, we take on a lot. And then I think the other big stressor is environmental influences, um, plastics, poor water quality, even air quality at times. You can't control the air quality, but you can control your own environment at home. So I really try and say to women, you know, we, we list all of these things that are stressors, and we can start to freak out. I think the best thing we can do is just choose where we can change things that are easy to change. Yes. Um, and that extends to even things like chemicals in our body products, our cleaning products, our our shampoos and conditioners. A lot of them contain fairly nasty chemicals that actually mimic oestrogen in the body. So it's yes. not true oestrogen, but it mimics oestrogen in our bodies, and that can be a huge endocrine or hormone disruptor right. and really, you know, skew things. And so I. I say to women with that as well, you know, I don't want you to go and and totally throw out your whole beauty bag. But each time you need to replace a product whether it's a you know makeup or a shampoo there's great options out there now that you know once upon a time when you were told to use a natural product it was it was either awful it <laughs> yep. smelled awful didn't do or the it job felt like washing detergent it yes. never did it didn't perform whereas nowadays you can walk into Mecca Cosmetics and get great options yes. that are yep. um that perform really well if not better sometimes absolutely um, and so that's really nice. But I, you know, in the, when I started in this industry um, almost twenty years ago, I, you know, I used to I used to try and really try to love the shampoo and conditioner that I thought was so good for me that I had there, and yes. and it used to feel like washing my hair with detergent. Truly, really. it was yeah. come a long way. And yeah, yeah. and so there is some really great options, and and so I just encourage people to really look into that because that's a big. That's a big one. Most women before they leave the house, if you're using conventional products, will have used 80 chemicals on their body before they leave. And that's just, you know, a lot. with a mere seven or eight products that you've used that contain those, those ingredients. So I guess they're three big factors. And then you, you can start to look at systems and, you know, um, liver detoxification and these sorts of things as well. Yeah. If your liver is not performing, that can be another big um, influence over hormones. But The list goes on and on. Anything that is going to compromise body function is going to be seen as a stress. understand.
0: And so is the best way for you to to, to determine, rather, um, if a person's out of balance through a conventional blood test?
1: Mm, It's a really good question, actually, because I think, I mean, we love testing and we love answers. Yes. (laughs) We love a label. We love a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. And I think it somehow gives us comfort. But at the same time, your symptoms haven't changed between today and yesterday when you had the test and you, today when you get the results. Um, and so I love to look at symptoms first and foremost to really guide what's going on. And I can tell a lot just by asking questions yes, you know, yeah. with the patient. And that's not to say that you wouldn't use a blood test. Uh, it can be great to confirm um, or if you've got obviously concerns, it can definitely show us uh, a more of a window into what's happening within the body. Um, One of the most accurate tests you can do for hormones is called a Dutch test. It's a dry urine test that's taken samples over a day or over a period of 24 hours. Um, And that really helps us to understand how our body is utilising our hormones, not just how much we have of something. Um, because if your body can't use things or they're not, you know, being used in the right way, right. then they're as good as nothing. Yes. So, you know, you can have all the progesterone in the planet, but if you yeah, can't yeah. use it, it yep. doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Wow. So that's where blood tests do sort of let us down a little bit. Is yes. it, doesn't, it just tells us how much we have. Yes. Um, and even then, they're often not done properly because you are going to your GP and bless them. They need to know a lot about many, many things. So I think this is where women do get um, the short end of the stick is that they're going to their GP. Their GP is doing the best with their knowledge, but they often should be seeing their gynecologist for problems that they're seeing their GP for. So, you know, a a test like that, a blood test, if you are testing hormones, needs to be done on roughly around cycle day 21. Uh, If you do have a regular menstrual cycle and if you don't, it doesn't really matter when you do it. Um, But again, guiding women with this is something that I do in the clinic because I want to get the best answer I can. So knowing if they do know their cycle, knowing when they should test is really, really important. And I see this fail a lot of the time. Uh, because if you just test on any random day, you may not know where you are in your cycle. Exactly. Or if you're if you haven't ovulated yet, then that can be a bit of a bum steer As well, you can yeah. get results that you'll look at and think, "Oh my goodness, I'm going through menopause," when <laughs> yes, you're not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is again, you know, where you really do have to know this information, and over many years, um, really start like really looking for clues with this. I find that it's it's actually compiling as much information as I possibly can to play yes. detective to work out what's going on. Looking at things like, you know, your period flow, how heavy is that? That tells you a lot about your hormones. Yes. Um, or PMS or, you know, um, mid-cycle pain. All of
0: these things all add up to give us lots of clues as to how we could diagnose and treat someone. Interesting. And do you find there's a lot of commonalities like between your patients? Like, like I remember when I was growing up, a lot of girls were concerned they had overactive or underactive thyroids. Do you find that there's common, like there's a commonality between a lot of your patients? Yes,
1: and you know what's even funnier is if I see one, I see five in the same day. <laughs> same thing. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Days seem to be themed. You know, uh, thyroid people are all in today, and the, the uh, estrogen dominant are all in on another day. And well, that's handy for you. I, It is handy, yeah. It's quite hilarious how it happens. Um, Yeah, I do see common issues and they are very obvious once you've seen it over and over and over again. Okay. And often I can look at somebody and (laughs)
0: straight away i can
1: diagnose them i yeah. will walk down the street and sometimes i'll say to someone that i'm with i really would love to fix her ovaries yes wow <laughs> um that that has to come into play yeah. and i think that's what really sets apart great practitioners not saying that i'm great but i really feel uh when you can tap into that there's another layer to what you can uh, achieve with patients and and be able to connect with them as well. But it is, I think if we just treat based on what a textbook says, yes. with the, and, that, and that's how I got here to where I am today is because I started to put aside the textbook And really look at the symptoms that women were presenting with because they were nothing that I ever learnt when I studied. Wow. Yep. They were they were really strange. And and sixteen years ago, when I first started in clinic, I was seeing the most random symptoms that truly I was like, I never got taught this. I don't even know what this is. And because science and medicine hadn't actually caught up to the impact that our modern life was having on our hormones, they weren't proven as being you know a real problem. Right. So it's it's definitely changed in the last little while and for the better where we now accept that, you know, hormones do influence these things and and we can create change. Just like you said at the beginning, it's what we do every day that really stacks up, not what we do when we step into our doctor's office. what we do when we
0: leave. Absolutely. So tell us, what are the main stages or changes in a woman's lifetime and what distinguishes each of them? I mean, obviously we know puberty, but tell us the rest. Yes.
1: Well, yes. I think that's a standout. And I think I love this question because it's almost in our minds we categorise puberty, pregnancy, and then the rest. Metaphors, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Right? But in actual fact, we're going through phases and stages all the time. Chinese medicine likes to say that or indicate that we sort of, as women, we work in seven-year cycles. Yes,
0: correct, yeah. And
1: if you look at that and you look back on your seven to eight years, if you look back, it's a, it's fairly accurate, I guess, for me anyway. And when I ask patients to do that, they'll say the same thing. Yep. So, you know, we do, we have pre-puberty, then we go through puberty, then we move into our, our peak of our fertile year. Um. We obviously, if we choose to have children, we go through the phases of consent and pregnancy and then postpartum um, and then we move into perimenopause from around 35 and women hate to hear that. Oh, my goodness. Because they're it like, young. holy moly. Yeah. But perimenopause might last 20 years. Right. Okay. So it doesn't mean that you're menopausal. It means that you're moving into that phase where you're premenopausal. Right. Doesn't mean you're going to necessarily have symptoms either. Although what I do find for women that are moving into that phase is our menstrual cycles, or our at least our periods, do change. We tend to have shorter periods for uh, you know a, a moment in time, which is nice. And a lot of women will think that there's something wrong. They'll come and say, "Oh, you know." my period used to be 5 7 days and i used to be you know quite yes. quite a heavy flow and explain it all to me and I'll say, yeah, you, you're lucky. You're in the phase now where it's lighter and it's shorter. Enjoy it because it's going to get yeah, heavier. Then right. it's going to get sporadic and then it, it'll, it'll finish eventually. But uh, it's, we don't talk, I don't think we talk enough about perimenopause. Yes. And we sort of just pop it in that category of postpartum, that, yep. you know, that was still a dis, in the distance, a distant memory, but we're not in menopause either. So yes. it, it's, I think it's just appreciating that there are still phases
0: outside of those most
1: people peak yep. uh, times. times that we would consider, yeah.
0: Interesting. And and what about for men hormonally? Do they oh. go through similar stages? I mean, obviously puberty for them, but what else for, for men?
1: Yeah, there's certain people uh, talking about phases for men and it's certainly not my area of expertise, but I will say this. I mean, in terms of a cycle, their cycle is more of a 24-hour cycle. Right. <laughs> they tend to do the same thing over a 24-hour <laughs> period each day. They're of the a lot month. more consistent, aren't they? They are, but they still they still obviously go through um, puberty and, and yep. there are some new... Um, research and people looking into this area of what happens. Do they go through some type of menopause or manopause? Yes. And um, can they have other imbalances? And they can, of course, certainly have hormone imbalance, definitely. I think we see this most commonly in men with you know increased anxiety, depression, um and issues with, especially when you're moving into your fertile years, issues with their fertility and sperm health. So we yes. definitely know that they can go through hormonal changes, just like women, that may not be in a positive way. And and just again, using their signs as clues and and helping them to transition through those. Obviously, for men, the the, the hero is testosterone, and yes. so making sure that that's imbalance balance is always going to be in balance, not imbalance. Yes. Is always going to be really important. But yes. Yeah, they, men will generally know, not necessarily speak out and they certainly don't look into things as much as we do as women just by their nature. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I've got a son, 18, and a, da- a 14-year-old daughter and it, there's such a difference. I mean, he often comments on, what's wrong with Jasmine? You know, what's wrong with her? She's changed. It's amazing <laughs> just is paying witness and being witness to them having both gone through puberty and now, mm. you know, son as an adult and Jasmine as a young adult. It's just um, incredible, the vast difference. And and even the change in their personalities. I mean he's been pretty consistent right from yes. when he was a young boy, but Jasmine has gone through massive changes oh, with her personalities. So, I mean yes, I'm sure you can yes, relate.
1: Yes, I'm in the in the thick of that right now. I have to laugh and tell you a funny story. Obviously, uh, first phase of lockdown, kids weren't at school for a period of time yes. and then they went back for the three weeks. Yep. Well, one of the one of the kids that have gone back that's good friends with my daughter, um, the, they were all joking and saying, you know, has anyone changed? And one of the kids <laughs> said, oh, such and such has come back as a man. Oh, <laughs> one of the one of the boys has transitioned through puberty during lockdown, Come oh. back to school and they're like, she's a man. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Pretty cute but oh. also really confronting, although it would probably be nice to go, go through the transition in lockdown and not yes. have people laughing at you as your voice is breaking and whatever. But Absolutely. But, That's you know, hilarious. I think girls do obviously take the, the transition through puberty is nice. over quite a number of years. Yes. And I think this is where, especially as mothers, we can almost – you know, freak out and get worried that things are happening. And I think the main thing to remember is that it it does take time for young women's hormones to actually mature. And and again, this is where I have a lot of passion to educate young mums about putting their daughters on the pill at an early age. The longer the later you can be put on hormone contraceptives, the the less it seems to mess up our hormones. Absolutely and so you know, If you're putting a 14-year-old on the pill at 14, you're stalling her home- hormones as a 14-year-old. Yes. And should she choose to come off that at, say, 28, let's say by example, her hormones will be as sexually mature as a 14-year-old. Goodness. So that can be problematic. And I think even if that's the choice and that's the best choice for you at the time, just knowing that information might be useful for that 14-year-old as she gets older yes. to know, well, I probably should come off the pill earlier if I do want to have children. So that I can actually have the opportunity to balance my hormones out before I get to the point yeah. that I want to have children and then yes. panic.
0: So it's about having information, really. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so what about, I mean, obviously there's certain foods that impact us and I know obviously during, um, you know, leading up to a, um, a period, you know, we're craving certain foods, but what are the right foods, what should we be eating to nourish our hormones the best way and what should we be avoiding?
1: Sure. Our hormones are made of fat and protein. So yep. it Eating fat and protein, healthy fat and good protein every meal is my best advice that I can give when it comes to balancing your hormones through nutrition. Obviously, there's layers to that and I think you know, in the 80s and 90s, we definitely shied away from fat and it's why we saw a lot of hormonal issues at that time that were directly related to nutrition because we removed fat and it's so important for our health. I think that myth has definitely been busted, although yes. it's still quite interesting to convince patients that fat doesn't equal fat in the yes, body. Yes, yes, yes. Um, whereas sugar is, is definitely a, a, a big factor no, no. that we need to consider. So. Definitely those inflammatory foods, I encourage patients to keep on the lower consumption, the gluten, the sugar, the dairy. And it's not that you don't have those things. It's just that when we have too much of them, they can definitely be problematic. Absolutely. Uh, And we're all different too, which is tricky because some of us do thrive with less meat and meat protein and some of us don't. And so- understanding your own profile can be really important. I can see very, very healthy vegans come into the clinic, but I can also see extremely unhealthy vegans yeah. come into the clinic. And that can be tricky because often they're vegan for um, personal reasons or yes. preferences or beliefs, yes. and but it might not work for them. So yes. it's just really looking at, you know, once you've got the, the right nutrition, what does your body actually thrive with? And so, you know, you can never go wrong with anything that grows in the ground or roams the land is generally what we should be having the most of yes. and the other foods are, are treat, definitely treats. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's all different labels and, and um I'd encourage people to try not to use a label and just eat healthy food. Um, at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that you might not sway to being more keto or more um, paleo or whatever label you want to call it. But I think giving it a label can be a little bit problematic for people. Yeah. So, you know, I tend to encourage patients if they want to look at what a plate would look like, a, a fifth size amount of protein, um I tend to encourage patients to reserve their starchy carbohydrate for after movement or exercise um, because really, if you haven't actually moved your body, the most important aspect of that is more about repair and muscle recovery and repair. And so if you haven't haven't done that, then there's no real purpose to the starchy carbohydrate sitting in your body. Um, and then the rest of the plate made up with um, with plants. So that doesn't, nice. you know, the starchy carbohydrate does balance. count the pasta or, or rice or whatever that might be. But yeah, you really do need to find that balance. And I think we do overconsume. consume yes. and, and interesting, we, we can thrive often with less. And that's definitely what I try and encourage patients to do as well. And, and they're mind blown when you show them, how, you know, how much they probably are. Overindulging and overeating, and it's you know difficult to again just time sensitive. But in lockdown, it's that it's pretty difficult <laughs> to adhere to, and I think that's why we see a, we're seeing a lot of challenges
0: with patients in the clinic at the moment, particularly. Yes. So, what about cravings that people experience, like during obviously pregnancy and, and leading up to a period? What What are they caused by? They're fun, aren't they?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, you know, our, our hormones can be pretty bossy, and we yeah. can dictate uh, what we need or what. It thinks we need or if we have got certain overgrowth of certain bacteria yes. it can signal um, the wrong cravings as well definitely yeah. uh, in the case of something like uh, yeast or candida um, we can crave those foods that, those sugars it's and those it. carbohydrates that just feed the problem even yeah. more so it's, yeah. it's really important to work out is it hormonal or is it something else? And the best way for you to be able to do that is to track when you have your cravings. And if they tend to fall at those peaks within the menstrual cycle, you can definitely say they're hormonal. So if they're in the middle of the cycle when you're ovulating or nearing um, the period time you can make that direct link or and that goes for any symptom as well i should say anything that's at those peak times you can tend to know that it's hormonal so if it's a headache or another other pains that you might have or other symptoms so looking for that clue whereas if it's any time then i would be looking more into the gut and what's actually happening yes. happening there yep. um and and it's really common when we do see um, imbalanced blood sugar, especially for women that have some type of insulin resistance or, or maybe polycystic ovarian syndrome, that they will have quite hefty cravings, um, especially mm. for sugar as yep. the body is trying to balance things out. Uh, it's really interesting because the body is trying to tell you something and Absolutely. often we just read it incorrectly. We, yes. we think we need sugar when in actual fact that's the last thing that we actually need. Yes, but, um, we're feeding feeding the beast and it's kind of working in the wrong way or we're reading it in the wrong way. So but it's always interesting, I and mean, we should always explore what those cravings are for you, so that you can then use it as a clue to
0: treat a bigger problem. Yeah, I remember years and years ago, I didn't get a period for about two years. So I was I was probably about seventeen at the time, and uh, I was living in Tokyo. And I came back and went to see a gynecologist, and he basically said, "Oh, it's got nothing to do with your diet. Um, just you know, get on the pill, and when you're ready to have a baby, come and see me, and I'll give you a fertility drug." And I went, "No, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. <laughs> that absolutely doesn't." I know. Sound right. and,
1: and unfortunate because I mean many women would be satisfied with that yes. because their doctor said that yeah and it, again I'm not I'm not here to say that, well, you know, well, lucky like you. are terrible,
0: but. Well, I think it's like you said. I mean, it's within their limit, within, that's their realm of work, isn't it? It's what they're used to treating through that way of prescribing drugs or, or whatever to problem. Well, solve we want an answer, don't yeah, we? We yeah. want an
1: answer and we want a solution, and that's the easiest, and that's within their, their um, you know, realm they of want. treating. Yeah. So it's, it, but I have to say that, you know, nowadays, I think, look, there are still doctors that operate that way. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely doctors that are, far more clued up um and i doing things in a way that's more conducive with women's long-term health. And I think that's really what we need to be looking at is the bigger picture when Absolutely. it comes to anything that we are putting in our body. How is this impacting me long-term? Am I taking a Panadol every week for a headache rather than looking at why am I getting a headache every week? Yeah, um, exactly. And I think always looking at the options is very important once you realise that, hang on, this is happening more often than I care to admit.
0: Yes. Yes, yeah, so it was interesting. So mm. I was dating my husband at the time and he was studying Chinese medicine, much like yourself. And um, so he put me on to his lecture at the time, um, Philip Robertson, and he basically put me on the straight and narrow, changed up my diet, got rid of the sugar. And I thought I was eating quite well, but it was like, you know, I was had a, having some wheat. And so he, you know, took some supplements because I also had leaky gut at the time as well. So basically just healed my entire gut, healed mm. my body. Period came back and I fell pregnant, like. A few months before due to get married, so amazing. <laughs> it like, yeah, it's amazing, but yeah, it was just really. I when I think back about how he, that gynecologist was was willing to treat me, and I just it just felt so wrong that mm. you know take this drug and then take that one and then you'll have a baby when you want and yeah, that's it, forget about treating the real problem. Let's just get straight to you know the symptom mm. kind of thing. So, mm. so tell us about. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, obviously there are lots of young women diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, endometriosis and Infertility. What are your thoughts? Is do you think it's the main problem? Is the diet and lifestyle, or is it a combination of just? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, fundamentally, our ge- our genes dictate what we're dealt. Yep.
1: So it's not that your body's just decided all of a sudden um, that that you're going to develop PCOS. Well, it can work like that, but hear me out. It's the environment, again, that we're putting our body in that determines the way that our body responds. Yes, And I always say to patients, whenever we've got a presenting and definitely a diagnosed condition, we are at a point where we've got enough factors switched on in our body that is causing or allowing that to happen in our body. Yes, Mm. okay, it's our genetic makeup, but if we can tick or not tick, untick is the word, untick some of those factors and and sort of bring the body back into a a more optimal state of health, you'll find that those symptoms will become less and less to the point where you can either very much manage or in many instances not have any evidence of that actually still being there. So you can't heal from it because your genetic makeup, but you can influence the way that your genes and your cells behave in a way that's more positive and conducive with, with um living, you know, optimally. Yes. So, you know, you can live without endometriosis, even though you might currently have it. It's just a matter of changing what you're doing. And and there has to be enough variables to tip you back over the other way because it's almost like you've tipped too far, you know, over the cliff and we need to get you back up standing again. Exactly. So, yeah, you can't, so yeah, it is definitely a combination, but I would say that it's the most uh, influential part of that is those stresses that we were talking about earlier. Yes. Looking yep. at your gut, looking at your liver, looking at uh, toxins and overload chemicals, yeah. um, you know, stress, uh, organ systems. There's, the list yeah. goes on and on. Yeah. It's up to the if you can find a practitioner that can really look at these things and help you work out where your priorities are and which ones are the most important to address for your condition. Yes, you can very quickly start to live, you know, symptom free at least, and to the point where often it does resolve itself and or not present as a as a problem. It's very interesting in these instances where you see this uh, go back to living the way we did before. We clean our, our, our lifestyle and our diet and everything up yeah. and our, all our symptoms dissipate and we feel really good and then for whatever reason we can start to lean back into that old ways and mm. those old habits and the symptoms come back again. Right. And people, patients will say, oh, if I do all the right things, I'm fine. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we want the magic pill, you know. And yeah. so that's where I think it, we're, we're torn between our head and our heart sometimes. Yeah, we're like, yeah is it easier to just take the pill or or some type of um, medication and, Maybe short-term it is, maybe it is, but it's long-term, it's the long-term impact yes. not actually fixing yes. the core of the problem you're yep. going to have down the track. And I think that's what we, again, it just comes back to what we spoke about before. We have yeah. to be
0: thinking about the bigger picture. Absolutely. Just a question because I'm curious about this because I exercise quite a lot. But do you <laughs> find that women who exercise are less likely to have these type of issues? Good question. Um, I think it depends on the person. There's
1: definitely people that thrive with less. Yep. So less food, less exercise. I'm not when I say less, I don't mean no food. Let's yep, be yep. real. Yep. But it's it's uh it's definitely those with PCOS, true PCOS, yep. so that that true um, hormone imbalance. They thrive with less, and less exercise being one of the things for them because it is one of those stresses that we're talking about that adds to an already stressed out body system. Right. If they can find the right balance, then that works. But if you don't have that true PCOS, you probably find that yes, you can absolutely thrive from more exercise. And I think the people that actually do thrive from more exercise are those people that are more um, physically and mentally stressed. And that helps them to move cortisol. It helps them to release good hormones. So it does depend on the person, I'm going to say. And and it does depend on their constitution, definitely. Yeah, understand. And what about contraception? Yeah, so natural fertility awareness, I think, is is now I think what we call it because the Billings Method, I think, based it on the previous cycle. And if that works, if you have a regular menstrual cycle, but not many people have just yep. on regular menstrual cycle. Yep. Um, and so fertility awareness or understanding when you're fertile and when you're not is extremely effective and I've practiced that like you for many, yes. many, many years. Yep. I only have two children. I definitely don't want any more. Um, I don't <laughs> want an eight-year age gap. Um. And I know when I'm fertile and when I'm not. Yes. And it's really interesting. When you know it, yep. you can't unknow it. Yes. It's like a, 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 it blows my mind that women don't trust themselves enough. Yes. To, to look at their body wisdom. Yes. I, I see this all the time where women would just truly say, I don't trust myself. Wow. Um, yeah. and it's, well, they're just it's not in doing, tune enough, do you think? Correct. Yeah, I think so. And they've never been taught. It's definitely geared more towards teaching young women about their bodies and helping them to understand this from a young age so that by the time they get to being 18 or 19, and it can be a bit tricky because hormones, take, like we said, take time to to regulate and can be a little bit inconsistent throughout that time. But if you can really understand what your body is telling you, it is a no-brainer. It's not difficult. And even for women who have irregular cycles or PCOS, we can still teach them this. So it is extremely accurate. There's also devices now that help us to um, confirm or if you don't trust yourself, um, those devices that do uh, accurately and thoroughly track your uh, temp body or basal yep. body temperature. Yep. They can be really useful for those women that that are either knew at learning this. Um, especially if you have been on some type of contraception that's synthetic and you come off that, it can take some time for you to learn, and it might be nice to have that confirmation. And they're extremely effective as well. Like ninety seven percent, ninety six percent, quite quite high. Okay, um, high in you know, how effective they are. Yeah. But I think the other common non-hormonal contraceptive is the copper RUD, oh, yeah. Um, which obviously involves the doctor implanting that yes, uh, yes. and it changes the environment of the, uh, the uterus, the, it changes the cervical fluid and it actually helps to repel sperm as well. So it sort oh, wow. of has a few functions <laughs> um, and that's and something else that women will opt for because again, they don't trust themselves that they don't want hormones in their body, yeah. I think no matter what, you've just got to constantly be watching your body regardless, yes. Yes. whether you've got a marina or you're on the pill or be always looking for yeah. evidence that that's the best thing for you at that time. Yes. Because often we don't, I, we don't do that and it's not really monitored. Your doctor's not necessarily checking that you know, your IUD's not moved or we, there's lots of things we should probably be doing to be proactive you know, yeah. under whatever your circumstances are. And I think that's really important. That's a really important conversation to be having. Is it's up to us to monitor this, not Absolutely. necessarily our doctor. So yeah. for any circumstance, um, we should be doing that. But I find that if I can teach women properly fertility awareness is without doubt the best thing they can ever learn because it's yes. kind of, once, like I said, once you know, you can't not know. Interesting.
0: And talk to me about, I know about a week leading up to my period, I crave nuts and seeds. And I read something about seed cycling recently.
1: Tell us about that. <laughs> Yeah, seed cycling is awesome. It's just using certain nuts and seeds throughout the menstrual cycle to support your hormones in what they should be doing. So um, there's certain, certain nuts and seeds that you can be using for the first phase of your cycle that help to support healthy estrogen right. um, and then the second part of your cycle that help to support healthy progesterone. Right. Um, and so you might crave those nuts and seeds. Um, because of where you are in your cycle, too, things like pumpkin seeds can be awesome to help to support healthy digestion. Yep. Um, and and you know it's just interesting. I think we discount food as medicine so yes, often, yes, but it's so effective. Um, and it, I get questions all the time, like, is it safe to take that? And it, you know I find it interesting how we question food, but we don't question other medicines that we might be be handed. Um, Strange. And, and yeah, it's very strange when you really think about it. But with the world that we live in, and I understand that, you know, we want to encourage people to ask questions. Obviously, it's important that we have the answers. So it's very safe to use food as medicine. um, And when you can understand
0: what your body needs, it's very effective. Absolutely. So do you think the craving is because the body's needing the fat to feed the hormones? That's a good question. Um, Maybe. I I think that, yeah,
1: look, I'd say probably. And also also, yeah it does, absolutely. And probably the other properties in certain foods that would help to support progesterone. So, you know, vitamin C, for example, helps to support healthy progesterone. Um, And often women will say, oh, that's interesting, I crave oranges before my period.
0: Ah, there you go. Yeah. Interesting.
1: It it is is really interesting. So there's certain elements that help and I guess you probably look at the properties of the food and what they're
0: actually delivering to the body at that particular time. Yep, amazing. We didn't talk about Mm. it at the start, but the main sex hormones are Estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, are they the three? Mm.
1: Yes, I did mention those three at the start, but, yeah, they are the main three. Um, Estrogen is what is most prominent throughout the first part of the cycle and estrogen is definitely... Responsible for building your lining, and um, you know, obviously, that's what's shed when we have a period. So yep. you have this, you know, peaking your cycle, and then if conception doesn't actually occur, um, progesterone, well, either way, progesterone will kick in, um, and progesterone will then do its its job um, to prepare for. Uh, uh, what's next, whether that's okay. like I said pregnancy and implantation, or that the the lining comes away and then you get your period. Mm. Testosterone is also important for women, and as we get older, um we definitely need a healthy balance of testosterone amongst other things and and testosterone is, yeah it, it's equally as important. We look at it as being something that men need. yes but it's very important for women as as well to um produce certain things in the body, produce uh, uh, the eggs on you know the follicles that we have on the yes. ovaries that um that we when we ovulate a release and, uh, and other many other functions so it's about the, the having all of your hormones but especially those three we do look at are yep. uh, in balance to have a pro- problem free or yes. you know yep. less problematic um <laughs> menstrual cycle and so during menopause do they all drop estrogen decline yep. uh as we approach menopause um, throughout Perimenopause and menopause, yes, um, and definitely testosterone. Once you actually do go through menopause, you should definitely that should be at peak. You should have more in your body then than when you were going through puberty. Oh, um, okay. and so that can I said like I said that can definitely be a big game changer for a lot of women as they do go through. Um, menopause, and progesterone will decline as well. So yeah, testosterone yeah. is the one that really changes throughout that that time. Yeah. And it's important. Like I said, one of the key things that – one of the key symptoms I would say for women who don't have enough testosterone is um, vaginal dryness. Okay. So most women will know if that's them. They'll yeah. just say, you know, sex is painful or it's very dry down there. I've heard that. Um, yeah. And so that can, that can definitely be. And it, again, each hormone influences the next. So it's yes. working out at what point and where and why that's happening, not just our Western mind goes, oh, we'll just give you some testosterone. But my Eastern brain goes, well, hang on, why is it low? There's a reason that it's low and, yes, it can be because of menopause but that's not actually the reason that it's low. Yes. That's the symptom. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, again, working out whether something is actually the true cause or the symptom of a
0: knock-on effect. Yeah, interesting. So what what's your advice to anyone going through or coming into menopause and wanting to minimise the impacts?
1: I think that women nowadays, we're seeing women take a lot longer to transition through menopause. Okay. And I actually think it's because their estrogen levels are, as women or as society, yep. but as women, okay. our estrogen estrogen levels are actually higher than they're meant to be. Uh-huh. Um, and that's based on those things that we talked about earlier. Yep. Stress drives estrogen crazy. Chemicals yes. drives estrogen crazy. Yes. Certain foods like overconsumption of soy and alcohol can yep. definitely impact estrogen levels. So it's it's actually that their est- their bodies probably mm. um, has too much estrogen. Yep. It's possibly not metabolizing and clearing their estrogen properly. So yes. that's done within the gut and the liver. And so therefore they're kind of in a suspended state where their body wants to transition through menopause but their hormones are imbalanced and yeah, it's right. not allowing them to do that. So I find um, if I can treat the stress of that because uh, that's usually the main component and if you think about any, any middle-aged woman uh, no one likes to be called middle aged, do no. they? But that's what that's that's where we're <laughs> at, right? Any woman that's in there at that point is usually carrying a lot, often yes. um, not just their own children but grandchildren, yep. um, or young, you know, very young grandchildren, but still probably working. Yes, um, it, it's probably the a peak stress point in their life when it's actually supposed to be a low stress point. Yes. So. It is definitely I find women's symptoms throughout menopause are, are generally in proportion to their stress levels.
0: Mm. And so you're saying, so it takes some longer tra- to transition into into menopause. Well, I'm
1: seeing that that definitely in the clinic that it's you know some women are coming in saying I've been it, I've been having menopausal symptoms for ten years. Yeah, and it depends on who you see and how you treat it. There's various ways. Obviously, there's there's synthetic hormones that are often used, and that's fine if that's your choice. It becomes a bit of a challenge to know when to stop taking them, like at what point, if you're not allowing your body to transition, at what point do you stop taking them? Yes. Um, but a lot of women will opt for HRT or, or um, hormone replacement therapy. yeah. yeah. Again, I want women to transfer as quickly as possible to be on the lowest to no dose of any medication without yes. symptoms. Yeah. So, well, herbal medicine definitely, can that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Herbal medicine can definitely help with that. And I find if I can get rem- women on the right um, mix of supplements and especially yeah. a good dose of magnesium will do wonders for that as well. Yes. So, looking at the symptoms, and in Chinese medicine, we profile that even further. We start to look at exactly when the symptoms are happening, what time of the day, what are they? And yes. that allows us to dial it in even tighter to
0: treat it even yeah. more accurately. Yeah. So what are, so is menopause like what people say, menopause? <laughs> so for men you mean? Yes. No, I mean <laughs> is it like when, when women go through menopause, it's actually a menopause. They're like off man, they're like done and dusted. Oh, it's I like, see
1: what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well you know what's funny is I don't think it's Supposed to be, but I think I mean, if you've got vaginal dryness, of course, you feel like your face is going south, um, yes. and you've got no libido. I mean, how sad! <laughs> what are you going to be attracted to? <laughs> you don't want anyone to come near you. Yeah, I think it doesn't have to be like that. And the more imbalance your hormones can be throughout any. Stage or phase the the, the you know the healthier you're going to feel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think also where we fail is again we're not thinking about menopause in our twenties. Yeah, but we probably should be. Yeah, right. because we're laying the foundation way back then exactly and, and if we're not looking again ahead at the bigger picture then i think that's where a, a lot of us are let down but i see women that are extremely healthy transition through menopause without much by the way of inconvenience or discomfort yeah you know you can see some women unfortunately they they gain a lot of weight they yes. they you know you can really see that transition flushes. for them and it's yeah. not it doesn't have to be that That's way right. I yeah. think where, if yeah. it's managed properly exactly
0: exactly but but to your point do men go through? A menopause as well? Do they go through something? Apparently so. Apparently they do. Um, I mean, the funny thing is though, men can
1: keep on making babies right up until they're, you see some people in their, men in their 80s. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, So, I mean, it's different. They don't become, um, their fertility doesn't necessarily stop like ours does. Ours definitely stops because we stop ovulating. Yes. Whereas they don't stop producing sperm. But I do think that their hormones do change and Obviously, we can see other things in men, you know, receiving hairlines, yes. um, graying of hair. There's lots of other ways that we we see them age and their hormones change. So, I would say that they definitely go through some type of, of hormone transition,
0: change yeah. um, and yeah. transition, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And is it true that we're born with a certain number of eggs? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Depends on who you ask and which way the wind blows. Right, okay. Um, I find this really difficult to, to swallow. You yeah. know, we've even recently proven or I read some research, I don't know, whether we can say
0: proven, but yeah, there's definitely yeah.
1: theories out there that we We once thought we were born with all of our brain cells.
0: Yeah, right. But
1: there's, there's theories and um, research that's sort of suggesting that maybe not, maybe yes, we're not, and we yes. actually do make more. I just find that it's a bit odd that every other part of our body can regenerate or create more. But yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Um, so, but... And the other reason it doesn't make sense to me is because we can do something to test our ovarian reserve um, and our AMH levels, or our anti malarian hormone. Right. And that tests our likely, or our like I said, it's sort of a test to indicate how fertile you are. How many? How many you've got in the bank? How many? Yes. How many, yes. How many have you got in the bank? Yes. Um, and that number can change. And so that makes me go, okay, well, a patient comes in and she's upset because her AMH is low, indicating yep. that her fertility is low and she probably doesn't have much, by the way, of it, it reserves yes, less. Yes, And I can treat her over a 12-week period and she gets retested and her AMH is improved. Yeah, yeah. How does that exactly, work? Exactly, You know, exactly. how does that work? So. Look, yep. yes, that's what we're told. We're, we, we're taught that we're born with all of our eggs yep, um, and that they obviously do decline. And that's what I would be saying that we know to be true as it stands. But things are, new knowledge is always coming to light. Yes. And so I would be, wouldn't be surprised if we did
0: learn at some point in time that we maybe can create, yes. create yep. more. That's incredible. And what about, so just one last question on the menopause. Do you find that women feel sad going through that final stage? Um, I guess. Again, we're all different and some
1: of us want to keep on having babies for the rest of our lives, I certainly know a few people like that, and I certainly do not. Like I said, so I find that difficult yep. to relate to. Yeah, there are definitely women who probably are grieving that side of their um, fertility. Yes. There is also a, a large portion of women who's pumping in the air, very happy to not have to worry about <laughs> periods anymore. Exactly. And you know, women, you don't have to feel horrible yes. or look horrible yes. if you get this right. Absolutely, so I think that's probably the other part is that if you feel horrible, yeah and you don't look your best, then so of course you're going you. to be grieving yes, your youth. Yes. But if you can, you can absolutely preserve your youth and you should be doing things to to do that. I feel that that's important for all of us. Um, yeah. And I feel like if you were to do that, surely it can't be as horrible. Exactly. I'm not there yet. And I always find it hard to um, treat things that I haven't experienced or at least yes. haven't. I mean, I haven't had issues with infertility however I have had a baby you know so I yes. can relate to the fertility journey cool. and I can relate to puberty but I haven't actually transitioned through menopause yet and and so I, I do find it a little bit difficult to relate to that but I can only base it on my patients yes. and I definitely can say that the majority of them are actually really happy to be transitioning yep. Yep. through menopause I think women can go through early menopause and that's probably a different situation yeah, and yes. and often that's actually treatable too but yeah um that would be different if I was 35 and going through menopause. I guess I'd yeah. probably have something different to
0: say. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess, as you know, it's probably menopause is like a natural progression really, isn't it? The ones that mm. are okay with it are probably like, yep, done and dusted. This is good. Probably ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like you say, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be horrible. It's like you've got to treat your body right and then, you know, do right by your body and it's going to do right by you. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, amazing. Final question, your top three tips to living a longer, stronger, happier and healthier life. Ooh,
1: I'm Mad fan of um, intermittent fasting, and we didn't talk about yes. that at all. But it does wonderful things for preserving youth, yes. as we just spoke about. So, I would definitely introduce some type of fasting to yep. your life. And again, anything that we've spoken about today, if people need more information, I've got so much on my website. If you search intermittent fasting, or you search hormone, uh, uh, hormone, or whatever you're looking for, you'll yes. get loads of loads of info um, from there. So, intermittent fasting, yep. definitely. Um, food is medicine, definitely. Yes. And that seems a no brainer. I think we understand yes. that now. Yep. But I think the biggest thing, however, I'm, again, we haven't really spoken about this, is our emotional health. If that's not in check or where it needs to be, that can be extremely problematic for people. Yes. Um, and so that is something that I'm personally always working on because we all have emotions We're and we all beings. have all sorts of yeah. things. We, absolutely. So really, I, um. I have a psychotherapist and I just love her to pieces. And yeah, yeah. Um, I highly recommend somebody in that sort of vein of work that yeah, can help yeah. you to navigate through life and we with, with that in mind as well. Yeah, yeah, so important. You know, I guess once upon a time I used to think it was a real weakness, like, you know, when, when I was younger, probably too. And, yeah, yeah. Hadn't, hadn't, and I'm not saying I have all the wisdom now. Don't get me wrong. I've yes. certainly got more to learn. Yeah. Um, but adding that to my team of, of healthcare providers has certainly been a game yes. changer and I wish I did it earlier. That's amazing, Nat. So how can people find you? Um, I'm Nat Kringudis everywhere. So um, yep. Nat Kringudis on Instagram, Facebook and my website, com. I do particularly love to hang out on Instagram. So yes. if people want to come and be friends there, I love to interact with people. I love to I love, I love it yeah. and, and especially at the moment I'm loving it even more. I feel like I've got now all of a sudden I've got created a rod for my own back because I'm entertaining the masses in Melbourne on my Insta stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it. I saw one of your stories last night. You were laughing your head off. Oh, it's my hilarious. goodness.
1: Because – We were talking about, I heard someone say that we're going to have to start wearing goggles and my mind, they didn't say safety glasses which I'm pretty sure is what they meant. They said goggles and so my mind went to like swimming pool goggles and (laughs) I just then had this visual of us all with masks and swimming pool goggles on and I'm like, oh, this is never going to end and and you know what, that joke's never going to stop me from laughing because every time I think about it, it's hilarious. (laughs) So
0: funny. (laughs) So Nat Kringouda's on Instagram, on Facebook, your website and you've got your practice as well in Melbourne which is called the pagoda trees that correct that's correct yeah yeah we're in melbourne
1: but we we do telehealth as well and i treat women all around the world all around the world yeah. um in terms of helping them get um an understanding of their their hormones and and yeah, really teach them that, you know, it's it's about teaching. Yes, okay, I can tell you what supplements and what, you know, medicines yes. and lifestyle and whatever, but it's actually teaching women to Absolutely. know, I think, um, yep. more than anything. And, and, and when patients graduate, I'm like, you don't need me anymore.
0: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Which is so nice. But, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's very rewarding and it very important. It would be getting them to that mm. point where they're fully empowered and they understand their bodies. Yeah, Brilliant absolutely. Gift. Thank you so much for your time today. Now, I'm sure we could keep talking for another hour or so, <laughs> um, but I'll let you get back to the homeschooling. So thank you and I uh, look forward to touching base soon. Yeah, thank you so much. such a pleasure to talk with you and, and your audience. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on our YouTube channel, One Body, One Life, to see more inspirational videos to help you reach optimal wellness and longevity. But until next time, don't forget, you've got a Nourish to Flourish.